Thank you for joining us today on our, our annual, or excuse me, our monthly podcast at Optimal Bio. Today we have a very interesting topic. Uh, we're going to talk about food and how food can be used as therapy to heal, how it can be used to prevent uh, illnesses and, and promote wellness. And of course, uh, we're going to always talk about COVID and you know how food relates to that as well. Uh, today we have a special guest from Nashville, Tennessee, Lee Bell. Uh, Lee Bell is a nutritionist uh, who uh, does wonderful things. Uh, and I'll just shorten it up by saying I call it food therapy. Um, but I'll turn it over to Lee and let her talk a little bit about her background. Hey there. Thanks a bunch, guys. Um, first and foremost, happy to be a part of it. I'm always eager to participate in anything that's educational um, in order to spread the word on how to promote greater self-care. Um, I have lived in Nashville for about the last two years. I was the, I am currently the clinical director of nutrition at the Hypertension Institute at St. Thomas West, which is a hospital here in Nashville, Tennessee. Prior to this, I worked as the director of nutrition for the clinical chiefs of rheumatology um, at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. Um, in terms of, I, I will say that I also, uh, I am a diabetic educator in addition to being a clinical nutritionist. Um, and so I would say that, you know, my background is really threefold. It's uh, rheumatology, specifically in the fields of rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, which is what we primarily saw in Los Angeles. It's now uh, cardiometabolic diseases, uh, hypertension, dyslipidemia, uh, type 2 diabetes, and then of course, an emphasis in diabetic care. And I would say that for all three of those things, it's really about dietary strategies and uh, lifestyle management in order to optimize uh, health and vitality. Fantastic. And of course, we have Tyler Braden and Dr. Greg Brennan with us here today as well. Greg, if you could just give us a little bit about your background and Tyler, the same. Uh, OBGYN for 32 years. I've been in wellness for about 12 years. Uh, my passion is uh, at the cellular level, how those cell works. And therefore, if the cell works properly, uh, the organ, the heart, cardiovascular, endocrine system can work better. Uh, we're looking at a fulfilled life as we're looking at here. So my background is OBGYN as a pelvic surgeon and uh, a special interest in diabetes myself when, uh, in obstetrics and in nutrition. Been part of Optimal Bio for about, ooh, we started this almost 10 years ago. And um, now we have four offices, you know, across the state. I'm Tyler Brannon. Um, I'm the CEO of Optimal Bio. Um, I was a lawyer who turned business owner. And um, about two years ago, I got my health coaching certificate because I was going along with my health journey, trying to figure out what was going on um, and really wanted to dive into the science. So I'm excited to share that side of myself with you guys today. Great. And for those of you that are in the audience today, if you have a question at any point in time, just feel free to enter into the chat and uh, I will make sure it gets uh, asked and hopefully answered. So Lee, let's start with you first. Um, you know, we all uh, in this generation have been raised, um, you know, with the food pyramid, you know, that the government established back in the uh, 60s and 70s, loaded with carbohydrates, grains, um, dairy, uh, you know, meats, fish, the whole deal. Um, can you kind of give us your take on the food pyramid and how that has affected the American diet in the last uh, 30 to 40 years? Yeah, I mean, as most things, um, there are outcomes based on theory and outcomes based on practice. And I think that there were very noble intentions associated with the food pyramid, right? It was essentially... Um, how are we going to educate the American public about how to optimize their diet? Um, and in addition to that, how are we going to influence public policy, right? How are we going to implement programs in schools, in hospitals, based on that health pyramid? Question ultimately becomes with anything like that, with any paradigm, is who's driving the content? And so because the content was driven by the USDA, um, the pyramid, as you, as most people know, has sort of morphed because the idea here is that the pyramid would change direction or it would evolve every five years and then the result of that, results of that would be uh, made public. And so 
Um, I would say that in terms of the history, again, of the food pyramid, um, scientists started to really take note of cardiovascular diseases, um, diabetes and obesity starting at about the 1970s. And as a way to intervene and hopefully guide the American public, they came up with this model. And I would say that um, you know, that was the genesis of the obsession in America with low fat, non-fat program um, in favor of higher carbohydrates. And so um, as far as how that influenced the American public, that could have only been determined in large part uh, in the rearview mirror. And so we know today, from where we stand in terms of uh, uh, cutting edge nutrition, we know that that was a false model, that the model didn't do anyone any good, that that was really the beginning of uh, the development of a lot more cardiometabolic issues for the American public. And it took a, an overweight public into obesity. We now have seen this explosive growth in cardiovascular disease, dyslipidemia, um, and diabetes for that matter, I'd say type two diabetes more specifically. Um, and it's largely because of the emphasis on sugars and the foods that convert to sugar in the body. And so, um, you know, I would say that in terms of even how the food pyramid has evolved, it's not something that I take even remotely into consideration in terms of my own practice. Um, I think that's more the realm of dietetics because they tend to get their curriculum uh, handed down from the USDA, whereas clinical nutrition is seen through the prism of functional medicine, what we used to call integrative medicine. And so uh, the way we approach diet is from a much more holistic point of view. And so it's a, it's a radical departure from the food pyramid or today, you know, we don't even use the food pyramid. I think it was in about 2010, we adopted something called my plate, which theoretically was an evolution in the food pyramid. But I would say that the benefit to that diet, even though it includes more vegetables and more emphasis on fruit, it's still primarily uh, a grain-based diet. So it's essentially a high sugar diet. So Greg, what do they have against um, traditional fat and you know, chicken and meat and all those good things that uh, taste good, uh, but you, know, you kind of feel guilty eating every once in a while? Jim, follow the dollar. This is very important to understand where this came from. Um, this, this is a, Thomas Jefferson said, if the government ever tells you what medicine to take and what foods to eat, you'll be in a worse state of tyranny. This started in 1977, McGovern, who was the Senator of South Dakota, a very large grain lobbyist kind of state. He was the one, one man on his campaign, I forgot his last name was Mike. He actually wrote the whole food pyramid himself and he was a grain expert. They knew as early as 65, there was a paper at Harvard showing the detriments of sugar versus the benefits of fat. But again, if a government pushes a product and it becomes mandatory, of course, whoever makes that product will, will prosper. There's also a milk cartel which has been used in, the gut in America since 1910s. So what, when we talk about this whole idea is, I believe the science was there prior to that, but there was dollars being made if it got in, in, enforced. And when you look at the actual food pyramid itself and who wrote it, that bothered me tremendously because if they want to give their opinion, fine, but to use our tax dollars and the power of the government to enforce their opinion upon school age children, it's where we see the obesity. You can look at a curve, mid seventies, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, polycystic ovarian, amenorrhea, all these things associated with hyperglycemia or high sugar incidence. And you can see it basically flat for 50, 60 years, early eighties, Boom. And that's what they do at the, at the Hyper Institute, Institute in, in Nashville that uh, Ms. Bell works at. You can see that data. So what we're doing is we're looking back at the repercussions of this, this um, experiment on 220 million people. And now we have all this repercussions to that. So now we're going backwards to see where that occurred. So when you go back, we used to have a time-restricted feeding. It was called three meals a day, seven, 12, and, and five. We had, you eat your fat, you eat your vegetables, you eat your greens. We had those things, but we manipulated it by these unscientifically proven programs because now we know by the science, Jim, every time we eat, we produce insulin. 
insulin's function is to store fat. So when you're grazing or eating three meals a day and three snacks, that's the antithesis where the body's made. So as a kid, when I was, uh, I watched those Wonder Bread commercials, I was told to eat Wonder Bread and drink four glasses of milk a day. Was that actually helping me or hurting me? That was destroying you. <laughs> and, uh, the problem, Jim, is a kid could overcome that. Our body is an amazing machine that could adapt and survive in very hostile environments. But the problem is there's a cost to that as we age. There's a cost into chronically ill diseases. We have, to have obesity in children. We have all these diseases we've never seen until older, older people. We have a higher dimension on older people. Uh, all Alzheimer's disease is, is a manipulation or a, a, a problem in cholesterol and fat metabolism. Um, uh, there's only three pathologies, only three pathologies, no matter what the disease, rheumatoid arthritis, atherosclerosis, permeability, uh, you know, uh, gut, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, it doesn't matter. Three pathologies happen. The vascular lining or endothelial lining is damaged. Your body responds properly in inflammation, but it overspreads the environment. And oxidative stress, meaning these free radicals that are used by our body to attack the problem, but now they spread systemically. So when you look back at, at what Ms. Bell's doing at her institute and we do an optimal bio, we're doing everything possible to actually hinder those, those pathophysiology processes. That's a very familiar um, uh, triad right there, what you just outlined, because that really is the mantra at the Hypertension Institute, that there are infinite insults, but they always result in those same three pathways. So it's the ED, right? It's the inflammatory status, um, and it's oxidative stress. So they all feed into those three pathways, and that essentially, that high in inflammation, right? Because the human body isn't wired for systemic inflammation. We're wired for acute inflammation that hangs around for a short period of time and then dissipates. So inflammation, as we know, sets the table for the four most dreaded diseases, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, cancer, and diabetes. So Lee, walk through that trial. The food pyramid is a pro-inflammatory diet. Right, so Lee, the, can you walk through that tri triad you describe in a very simplistic term, you know, with particular diet, and then what is that, what is that doing to the body? With a pro-inflammatory diet? Yes. Well, we know the perils of high inflammation, right? That, again, it's um, a major player <clears throat> in immunity, in, in autoimmune diseases. Um, and as I said, the four most dreaded diseases all have an inflammatory base by nature. There is more and more research every day about the connection between inflammation and depression. Um, and so the importance of, I actually got in a conversation with a physician at Cedar sinai once who told me that he didn't believe there was such a thing as a pro-inflammatory, or he, did, he didn't believe there was such a thing as an anti-inflammatory diet. That food didn't contribute to inflammation, which I thought was absolutely outrageous. So my rebuttal was, um, okay, you don't believe there's an anti-inflammatory diet. Do you believe there's a pro-inflammatory diet? If you eat fast food exposed to trans fats, high saturated fat diet, high uh, glucose diet, um, do you believe that that would be pro-inflammatory? And he said, yes. And I said, I, I rest my case. If there's such a thing as a pro-inflammatory diet, there has to be an anti-inflammatory diet, which is again, what we focus on at the Hypertension Institute. I don't wonder how many doctors are like him out there. <laughs> well, well, first, okay, I'm a doctor. The answer we're training is zero nutrition. Yeah, and I hear the average is eight hours in medical school. When I was, I was zero. And uh, what's very interesting about this is you think about the gut. The gut is one cell thick that protects yeah. us from all the toxins of the world, be it food, heavy metals, viruses, bacteria. It doesn't matter. That, and again, Dr. Houston, who Miss Bell works with, I, this, I'm getting his stuff from his book, and his whole idea of the, the brush board of the galaxy of the gut, you can cut the vagal nerve and you actually see decrease in, uh, in Parkinson's syndrome. I mean, the nerve and the brain talk very to get together. Everything is very intertwined. 
But when you say about this, Jim, is, is we're just trained to look at, at one problem and look for one uh, you know, weapon for fix that problem when it's very much more complicated than that. But the path of physiology, that's what I really want to focus on here. Dr. Houston, when I heard his speech and I read his book, it, it, it simplified it so well. That's why when you look at, I don't care what disease, we talk about Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or atherosclerosis, virtually every supplement we'll talk about later all do the same thing. Yeah. Vascular endothelial lining, they keep, inflammation's great in an acute setting and in a walled off setting, but keeps it there. What vitamin D does, it doesn't slow down inflammation, it, it walls it off, it keeps it so the collateral damage does not occur. The cytokine storm we've read about recently. And then you oxidated stress, these free radicals. Without free radicals, we're dead. Too many free radicals, we die. It's that balance. That's why it's important to understand how this, I think the pathophysiology makes us, um, gives us a roadmap backwards to find out a process of how we do to take care of our bodies. Okay. So that's great so far with the medical stuff, but let's get a little bit personal. Um, Tyler's with us today. And uh, Tyler, I know you've been struggling with gut issues for years. Can you kind of walk us through um, prior to, you know, diagnosis, how you were feeling and how is it, how is it going now? And, you know, just share your experience with us. Yeah. So it really started around 2013. Uh, I've always been a very active person, always worked out, high energy. Um, and then it, starting 2013, I would get really bloated and I'd be like, that doesn't make sense because of how I work out, what I eat, low carb, et cetera. And then growing up, since my dad's a doctor, we never went to the doctor. So I would randomly go to be like, hey, I think something's wrong. And they'd be like, you're fine. So I'd be like, okay, I'm fine. Um, but fast forward to 2018, my body literally was shutting down. Um, I was so inflamed talking about inflammation that I tore three ligaments in my wrist just by putting lotion on because my body just couldn't fight itself any for itself anymore. Um, I had brain fog. Like my, when people talk about brain fog, I literally couldn't think, um, what was really the nail in the coffin for me to be like, okay, I need to schedule a doctor's appointment as I'll never forget. I was standing in the post office sending something and I couldn't remember our work address. And I thought, wow, either I have a brain tumor and dying or like I need something's not right. Uh, I had severe stomach pain every day. I had like a knife going through my stomach. There are some days at work. I just had to like lay down for an hour. Um, fatigue, like nothing else. I know moms say you can't say you're tired until you're a mom, but I was very tired and it still goes on and off. Like, for example, I lived at like a, the end of a long hallway at my apartment and there's days I'd get home from work and be like, okay, like, can I make it down to the door? And it'd be funny because people like, oh, like, what are you doing this weekend? What are you doing after work? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. But like inside, I'm like, you guys don't understand what it takes energy wise for me to get through the work day. Um, acne, which was a symptom because I never even had acne in high school when I'm supposed to. So I was like, well, that's not right. Um, migraines, I had migraines almost every day. Um, and this all, all these symptoms kind of resulted in not a lack of motivation, because I'm a type of person that I'm going to get the job done. But like, I had no desire to like, go hang out with my friends or go do anything. Uh, because either I felt so sick, I was so bloated, which is a very uncomfortable um, feeling. And what people I don't think really realize is your gut goes directly into your brain. So because I didn't feel well, then mentally I didn't feel well. And it was just this cycle that wasn't getting better. And um, especially it was very frustrating, as I mentioned, someone who works out every day and eats right. It's like, why do I have all these symptoms that you shouldn't have if you're taking care of yourself? Um, so fast forward to after the post office when I was like, wow, I need to call the doctor. So I called a local gastro doctor. Um, and so I went a few times, told them all my symptoms. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. And tried to give me a prescription. And I said, I don't want a prescription. I want to see what's causing this and try to fix it. I don't want to just like put some Band-Aid on. And oh yeah, this prescription also has 
a lot of negative side effects. So then I went back again to be like, hey, can we like do tests? Can we do something? Long story short, that went nowhere. So I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. Meanwhile, in between this, I had my surgery for my wrist that um, I tore my ligaments. And whenever I went to the doctor, he noticed on the MRI that I had torn my, um, the middle ligament in my hand and my right side. But whenever he would ask where it was painful, I would also say on my left. And he was like, well, the MRI didn't show any tears, so I don't know. Um, but after surgery, he was like, oh, I see why it was so painful. It's because you had so much inflammation in your wrist. And all this inflammation was because my gut wasn't working properly. So then I started researching some more doctors. Um, and I found this one doctor who is an MD, but also um, said she focused like on integrative health, which I was like, that's a great combination. Um, I want both sides. Like I want the science, but I want a broader picture of wellness, figuring out what's going on, getting to the root cause. And that really started my journey. Um, very thankful for her. She was the one who tested me for SIBO, found out I had SIBO, um, that I was celiac, that had leaky gut. So that was great. That's we started on some regimens for SIBO. Obviously, I started stopped eating gluten. And I've been pretty much gluten-free since like 2012, but I would eat little amounts of it. And that obviously created a lot of problems. And then I was seeing her from like March to August of 2019. By, 29, um, by August, all my symptoms started coming back. I started re feeling really sick again. And long story short, she wasn't, there was no research in seeing like what else is going on. And she was just giving me more and more supplements. So at one point I was probably taking 35, 40 supplements a day. And I was like, this doesn't make sense to take all of these supplements. So then I was looking for another doctor I found this great doctor in New York, and that's who I currently work with now. And um, same thing, she like retested me for SIBO, and um, I found out specifically what type of SIBO I had. And um, so we took the actual SIBO protocol that I found out I actually never did with my previous doctor. So the supplements I was taking with my previous doctor actually made my SIBO stay alive and thrive. So that was fun to find out. And then also um, talk about food as medicine. It makes such a big difference. The type of SIBO I have eats off of sulfur and sulfur is great for your body. If, unless if you have SIBO that eats off of it. So sulfur is like in kale, cauliflower, um, things I was eating every day. So just by removing that from my diet really helped make a difference. Um, so that's basically the journey that I'm on. Um, it's definitely a cycle. Um, right now I'm in the process of starting, I, we started a new SIBO protocol two weeks ago because my symptoms were coming back. However, nothing like they were in 2018. Um, but I mean, I could go on and on about this, um, uh, but just the importance of finding the right doctor, being your advocate knowing that you have to trust your body and um, like exercise, like the exercise I was doing was making my body worse. So I had to pull back from hit. I started doing a different type of working out. Um, so little things and patience made a big difference. So with gut issues, it's, uh, I guess, will you ever be healed or is it something that's going to be chronic? So I'll get better but it is pretty chronic and you guys can add to it. Um, and so there, I'm gonna have like flare ups, but I'll know hopefully what exact protocol to do when I have flare ups and like things like, I mean, I'll never eat gluten again, obviously. I don't eat dairy. Um, I really say I'm still very low sulfur. Um, and then some days I'll just like eat strip smoothies. So just pro like, you know, food that I don't really have to process it. Um, but I feel, and you guys can add, um, it can get better, but I feel like it will come back. I feel like you're born with that in a way. So Lee, um, this is probably a great segue for you in terms of, you know, your practice at this point in time, um, because these things tend to be chronic, um, and they're not curable, so to speak, then you basically have 
you know, individuals that have to obviously, like Tyler, self-manage over time uh, and or be guided by someone like yourself. Um, can you walk us through that a little bit? But then also, why the sensitivity now um, to some of these foods that, let's say, 30 or 40 years ago, the typical American didn't have the sensitivity? Well, I think that's, you know, complex math. First, I want to say in respect to SIBO. Um, because I want to give you a small bit of optimism here, Tyler, about the trajectory of SIBO management. I would say that over the years, so I used to work with the GI motility clinic at Cedars also, which is a Dr. Mark Pimentel, um, uh, who's a primary researcher in the field of SIBO. And so I would say um, on one hand, I've seen people recover from SIBO for very protracted periods of time. You know, in your words, you know, you kind of expect to have flares, but I've seen people recover, you know, let's say semi-permanently. I don't want you to think about it as something that you are always going to have to live with in terms of symptoms. Um, is it something that you may have to always think about, especially having that coupled with celiac? I would say, yeah, because one of the things we know about celiac disease, it's an autoimmune condition and even a minuscule exposure um, can create damage right, in the, in the small intestine. So in terms of, and I want to say this, that, you know, you just never know what lay ahead in terms of research, right? There's constantly new things coming out about protocols and the management, and ultimately, you know, hopefully there's going to be a cure at some point where you won't have to think about this at all. Right, like even this year, I, we started a new um, protocol in uh, August because there's a new protocol for SIBO sulfur, so... Right. So I would say yours is the third, right, discovery in terms of that, the kind of bacteria that's outgassed or sulfur that's outgassed in the gut. Typically, we look for methane or hydrogen, right? So yours is mm -hmm. unique. Um, there hasn't been testing all that long for that. In fact, even the acknowledgement of that strain of SIBO hasn't been around for that long, right? So you could have theoretically, had you treated for one of the other two, you wouldn't have seen resolution until we could identify what was going on currently. So, right. um, so optimism, I would say. Um, in terms of why we've seen an uptick uh, socially, I'd say that, uh, you know, gut health for me, I would say is first and foremost in terms of, if I have kind of three pillars that I'm always working on, one of them is gut integrity, uh, the second is uh, inflammation, and the other is glucose regulation. Say so that's an ideal triad to get patients started on in terms of how they approach a dietary strategy. Um, most people don't know that 70 to 80% of the immune system resides in the gut. I often ask patients, where, where do you think your immune system is? And they're kind of, I don't know, is it in my throat? Is it in my arm? It resides in the gut in something called the GALT. 90% um, of serotonin, that feel-good neurotransmitter that we're after, is composed in the gut. So without starting in gut um, and acknowledging the integrity of the gut and fortifying the integrity of the gut, there is no optimum health. There is no optimum vitality. So at some point, I think in this conversation, we're gonna talk about COVID and immunity and going into this next flu season um, and just how important the idea of uh, immunity is. First and foremost, you gotta heal the gut. So, um, you know, I think this has a tremendous amount to do with just how much over the past hundred years, let's say, that humanity has dramatically altered the way that we live. Um, we simply aren't wired to live in this environment uh, for a variety of reasons. And I think that as the uh, toxic exposures, we're more exposed to heavy metals, industrial pollutants, uh, mercury, aflatoxins, uh, which are molds um, in very common foods, Think that things that a lot of us tend to think of as being health foods, peanuts, for instance, high in aflatoxin, high in mold. Tyler, you're smiling. Is that, that, that's probably something you're, you're keenly aware of. Um, uh, so as the environment changes, uh, the microbiome changes, we change. And I think as a result of that, and I, and I also think it also happens to be the tremendous amount of stress that we live with in modern life. So the, the, the gut is mechanical and it's also chemical. And 
stress has tremendous influence on especially that mechanical aspect of the gut. So in Tyler's case, when it comes to SIBO, which is really on the rise, and if you look at the data on this, conservatively 60% of IBS, right? IBS is that idiopathic umbrella we throw on my stomach doesn't feel great, right? I have either constipation or diarrhea or bloating and nobody knows why. Conservatively, 60 to 70% of those cases, when we test with lactulose breath test, which is the SIBO diagnostic test that patients do at home, they turn up positive for this small intestinal, this over-colonization of bacteria in the gut. So, um, you know, what are the things at play here? I mean, we know there is a tremendous connection between autoimmune disease, which celiac is one, and gut health. And that's largely because of intestinal permeability. Um, we know that what are the things that contribute to autoimmune conditions, the diagnosis of an autoimmune condition, which is primarily what we did in the rheumatology clinic. Again, it's the same sort of thing. It's the uh, change in the way that we live. It's toxic exposures, it's aflatoxins, it's genes, it's inflammatory status, and then it's epigenetics, right? Which is the environment in which we've all chosen for ourselves. Meaning, how do you eat? What's the integrity of sleep? Uh, how, do you, uh, how much do you move in a given day? Uh, how do you manage stress? All of those things, and leaky gut, by the way, also known as intestinal permeability, all of those things contribute um, to chronic health conditions. Greg, on, in terms of uh, in some situations where you know, people are experiencing you know, gut issues, obviously you know, medications can uh, help in certain respects. Um, from a long-term scenario though, you know, if somebody's on an antibiotic for too long, does that have an adverse effect to the gut? Heck oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, uh, Ms. Phil, you get I mean, the studies I see, uh, one, no, you have at it. Yeah, one round of ampicillin, say a seven-day course of that, could wipe out your normal gut bacteria for three to four months. And then you have, when you have over, overgrowth of other ones, um, the, the key is, um, we're not anti-antibiotics. That's what's important. Antibiotics have saved millions of people. If there's consequences to every action we have. Uh, I remember I started at the hospital when I have a patient with a, a C-section, this routine prophylactic antibiotics, and they have diarrhea the next day. I give them probiotic, people thought I was crazy, and the diarrhea is gone within a few hours. So when you talk about the mechanical aspect and the chemical aspect of it, that's really real. So there is, because antibiotics are one thing. The big one, Jim, is, I want Ms. Bell to talk more about this, is uh, protein pump inhibitors, PPIs. Uh, acid production is the function of cells in the stomach. And when you inhibit that, that causes a complete ramifications that are not healthy over time. So that's very, very important to understand because everybody just gives PPI. Well, the problem with most, of, most people actually with gut issues have a, a hypochloric, but low hypochloric, uh, uh, high HEL production. So that's very important. So the answer is, is, is Jim, is, is we never talk as doctors of what the consequences or side effects of medications are, and they could be a plethora of them. What's PPI? Protein, protein pump, pump inhibitor. inhibitor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, proton pump inhibitor, uh, okay, they so are. Proteins are, uh, pro proton pumps inhibitor, pro is actually the pump that actually is used to pump proteins, uh, protons that would pump hydrogen into the, into the lumen to make um, hydrochloric acid. To okay, make that's, it all, that's all well and good for you two, but for Tyler and I and the rest of our audience, can you explain that in very simplistic layman's terms? I'll just give an example. It's an antacid. Ms. Bell, you go. No, I was going to say, these are commonly prescribed for acid reflux. Um, Rather than getting to the source, um, I just want to say, prior to launching in my PPI chat, um, we don't have health care in America. We have disease management in America. So we are a society that has grown accustomed to walking into a physician's office and walking out with a prescription, right? It's a pill for every ill. Um, in our clinic, so Dr. Houston uh, practices integrative medicine, which is a departure from traditional allopathic medicine, um, you know, that, that does 
some things, as you know, uh, extremely well, right? Acute care, um, if you're in a car accident, there's no better place to be than in a traditional, you know, ER. If you're concerned about SIBO um, and gut integrity, you're probably going to be in trouble. I mean, what Tyler outlined in terms of her journey, you know, going through several doctors before they um, could even come close to a diagnosis. This is a very common frustration on the part of the general public with traditional medicine. Um, well, I see this every day in our clinic. You know, I go through an exhaustive, uh, when patients come in for a consult, um, download, you know, interview essentially of what their health concerns are. And I would say that always in the top three are, can, is there any way to get off of medications? Now, I think more and more patients are hip to the fact that they're not taking the medication alone. They're also accepting all the side effects that potentially come along with that. So PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, common medication um, prescribed for acid reflux, which is an epidemic in America, again, due to standard American diet, which has essentially destroyed uh, the health um, of the American public. I mean, you add that, I was, I have to say, in a state of shock when I moved to Nashville just two short years ago, asking people the simple question, what does a typical food day look like for you? There were foods listed that I had never heard of before growing up in California. Fried chicken. Uh, fried pickles. Uh, fried yeah. pickles. Nashville loves fried pickles. Yeah. Uh, to wish I said, uh, I called uh, the only person I knew in Nashville when I moved here and said, what the heck is that? It, in my mind's eye, it looked like a corn dog. It was a pickle on a stick that had been deep fried, but alas, it's sliced. It happens to be very good. It'll, it'll kill you. But... Um, you know, soda for breakfast. Pepsi is a very common drink of choice here. So not a surprise that a lot of the public lives with acid reflux. They're then given these medications in order to quell stomach acid. Um, what most people don't know is that what's your first line of defense against viral infections? It's the acid that that virus is going to hit when it first hits the stomach. So now you've lowered your immune system. Um, we know that vitamin B12 is assimilated in the gut and that you need stomach acid in order to do that, coupled with something called intrinsic factor. And so, again, this is just a common uh, over-the-counter medication. Uh, uh, I think a lot of the general public presumes that if you buy it over-the-counter, somehow it's safer. It's not as it's sort of a misdemeanor rather than the felony of having to walk up to the counter and get something that a physician prescribes. Uh, but much to Dr. Brannon's point, uh, the, all of these things have tremendous side effects. And I think you also men mentioned, Greg, that frequently the symptoms that we see with acid reflux, the cough, right, the burning, um, uh, are a sign of low stomach acid. It's of low HCL and uh, lower production of enzymes. Those things that we need to break down food in the gut and to assimilate nutrients. So... I mean, that's just, that's a classic example of something that we like to avoid um, uh, by avoiding the pharmaceutical aspect of that and moving into things like uh, L-glutamine, which I would have to say is probably my favorite of all the gut healers. Tremendous amount of research that suggests that's an ideal amino acid therapy to heal uh, intestinal permeability. Things like colostrum, uh, liposomal delivery colostrum, I like. Um, DGL, aloe vera, marshmallow root, um, all have proven to have the same efficacy as these PPIs if patients are actually willing to take that path rather than going the pharmaceutical way. Yeah, I have to take digestive enzymes because I have no stomach acid, but I get acid reflux. Right. So yeah, fun times. Where can one get marshmallow root and some of the other things you described, Lee? Well, so, you know, we keep on hand in the clinic a uh, wide range of pharmaceutical grade supplements. Um, my favorite, I would say, is something called GI Revive from a pharmaceutical brand called Designs for Health that is actually a uh, formula that includes L-glutamine, DGL, marshmallow root, aloe vera, all the things that you would need 
uh, are together. It comes in a pill in a powder form. I prefer the powder always taken a couple of times a day, depending on what the need is in terms of the gut issue. That would either be a, you know, kind of entry level dose, or we would uh, titrate that up into a more, um, you know, a, a stronger dose in order to uh, address whatever the, the severity of the issue was. Well, since we're talking about supplements, let's uh, get into that real quick. Um, you know, we um, obviously have D3 that we've talked a lot about in the past, zinc and magnesium and C and T. You both talked a little bit about B12 today. So why don't we tackle that? What does B12 do for the body? You want to no. hit that, Greg, or you want me to no. hit that? No, I want to hear no, it. You, you have at it. No, you, you well, go. I would say that the B vitamins, um, all nutrients are important at the end of the day. Uh, there's uh, B12, which is one of eight uh, B vitamins that makes up what you would call B complex. Um, B, in my estimation, is uh, important for cellular metabolism, um, energy production, helps to support uh, brain function, prevent infections, and red blood cell support. Um, uh, and also, you know, just as I said, important for overall vitality, B vitamins. I take yeah, B12. Yeah. And then yeah. what she was talking about this, when, when you eat B12 has to bind to a thing called intrinsic factor. You need the acid to do it. Then the terminal ileum actually absorbs it. Um, that's what people have, uh, have uh, an anemia because of, of low B, pernicious anemia is low B12. But when you, it's interesting when, when I'm just thinking about the times Tyler and Jim make fun of me. Um, is that all the time? Which is a lot. I mean, it's very easy sometimes. He just like gives it to I, us. When I say take something, and I'll say here's what it does. You just you just listed what, what B does. B does everything. So if I yeah. say take this, and then Tyler Jim will say something like, "Does it you know park your car too? Does it whatever does?" Because it sounds. <laughs> I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna write that down. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's just it just sounds crazy because when you say what does B do? Well, again, again. Vitamin D, we'll talk about later, is I'm in a vitamin, it's a secosteroid, anabolic steroid, that literally has a receptor in on 10% of the genes we make. So what does it do? It doesn't, it, 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 there's studies that show high doses of calcium get rid of autoimmune vitiligo. I mean, uh, it, it helps cytokine storm we've heard on the news the last year. Uh, yep. It could just do so many things. We know when the levels above 30, it protects rickets, but above 50, it's shown to decrease heart attack above 80 uh, the study of Hopkins decrease recurrent breast cancer 400%. So what I like that it, it modulates the immune system. That's what it does, but that has repercussions that are through the roof. Um, so that's why, you know, I'm just saying when I say talk about CBD and how many different CBDs there are, it affects these inflammatory processes, which affects thousands of things. So I love hearing you, you, you rattle off seven, eight things it does. And that's just the, that's the, that's the tip of the iceberg for everything we talk about. So do you, um, so there are traditional allopathic ranges, right, for nutrients and labs and for, in respect to D3, that holy grail number is always right around 30. Right. Traditional uh, and in functional medicine, right, or integrative medicine, we like that number much, much higher as you yep. outlined. For us, it has to be above 60. Right. Um, uh, somewhere between 60 and 80. Yep. What's the lab range you look for for vitamin? I like, I like 80 to 100. Uh, there are some studies that show maybe over 100 can be a problem, but there's a couple things. During this COVID stuff, CNN said, but people are taking too much vitamin D. Watch out because they can overdose. So stop for a second. I, that, that, that scares people. Well, when they didn't tell you the study, first off, if you take vitamin D3 with K2, you can't yeah. overdose. That's right. You need it for absorption and how it works, number one. Number two, if you take D3 to be overdosed without K2, you need 7 million units a day for over five months. So they, they try to scare you, but at the same time, here's Zantac, wish you well, it's no yeah. problem at all. Or here's a statin, forget your brain's 85, 90% cholesterol, go stop making cholesterol when cholesterol makes 11 key structural functions for our body. So that's why it bothers me crazy with that. So uh, I, I love the data you have, but the data that I looked at is the magic number I get is about 80. Great. Um, I, I no, mean, I have in addition, oh, go ahead, Tyler, sorry. No, no, it's okay. No, no, have at it. 
I was going to say back to um, about the importance of supplements and gut health. But what people have to also realize that you can be taking 10 supplements, but if your guts doesn't work properly, you're not absorbing any of the nutrients. Like for example, um, just a few months ago, it's very ironic since I work here, my vitamin D was at 16 because my body literally can't absorb um, nutrients. That's why I have to take B12 because it doesn't absorb it. Um, So I think that's really important to realize everything has to work. You can't just like take supplements for them and you think that's going to be a fix-all. And also, even though supplements are great, I think people think like supplements aren't real medicine. So they don't realize that you can, it can be bad if you take too many or the wrong ones because they can, it is medicine. Well, exactly. And that's that's the the best probiotic and the best prebiotic is real food. That's That's right. Food, the problem with our food sources, our topsoil has been destroyed the last 30, 40 years, where our iodine, our zinc, our magnesium, our selenium, uh, those things are in there. We want, we sterilize food before we eat it now. Um, great book by Dr. Ash called Eat Dirt talks about this. Yeah. So we, we've ruined our food supply. Also, GMO, we even talked about that, about what's wrong with the source. We're having this GMO. Again, we're having pieces of different DNA literally placed into this food. What does that do to our body? Uh, the amount of vaccines we have. Now, when you and I are kids, we had four or five. Now there's 79 vaccines. We know some of them actually, in, actually the measles vaccine actually harbors itself in the endothelial lining of the gut. In fact, the very first uh, autistic cases that Dr. Wakefield talked about in the mid-90s was actually presented to him as, as um, autistic colitis. It was a colitis is how autism actually first presented itself. So it goes back to the gut is everything. Tyler talks about it. Take all the supplements you want. Your gut's not you not properly function. It may actually do harm, not better. But the best stuff is the right food. And but the, but again, a, um, uh, an animal that is injected with antibiotics and steroids and herded and killed, the amount of stress that animal has where it dies, it may sound corny, not because it has feelings, but because the cortisol that goes through the roof actually affects the product we eat or drink. You get an animal out in the wild that doesn't it just drops it just drops completely different type of beef or different kind of meat because it's actually there is not that 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 stress steroid before it occurs and it sounds again crazy but this does add all up and again the final the lab experiment in Tider's life the lab experiment in, in Jim's life is Jim and Tider's life it, it's a it's a it's an n of one it isn't you know this study shows so how does it affect them and that's why I think. Our job is most important is to do make it simple, Jim, but make it simple without the cost of explaining to people how complex it is. And that's why simple things like sleeping, nothing more important we'll talk about ever in our career here at Bio. it's sleep. Because yeah. sleep in, in, the third, in the, fourth state, the third stage of sleep is when your lymphatic system or your brain lymphatic system actually drains the toxin out. You can't even do that unless you hit stage three. That's why, you know, testosterone is so important for that. Progesterone is so important for that. So that's why sleep. The next thing is to actually eat and actually exercise the proper way. Bad exercise, as Tyler talked about, doing HIT is great if you're prepared for it. If not, walking is better than anything else. So it does get complex, but when you look at the actual thing, it is the way we lived 100 years ago. That's how we want to do it again with the benefits of today. It's 100 years ago, Jim, there's a study showing, there's a book called The 100-Year Live about the FDA. The average American died seven years earlier, 100 years ago. The number three cause of death in America is medical treatment after they approve the medication. But we died 100 years earlier of two things, infection, dirty water, and trauma. So That's right. those have been eliminated. That's why our life went up. This is the first time in American history our life inspection last three years has went down. First time in our history. So uh, this is like the first time in history that we have seen more complications of obesity than starvation. That, that, just let that sink in, guys. Yeah, so we're in real trouble when it comes to the lack of information available to the general public about how to optimize your own health, how to ultimately I, be your own <laughs> advocate. Mm-hmm. I was at a doctor's office yesterday and it was so, it was sad to see because you wonder like, why do people 
still think to eat carbs or, you know, grain-based diet, whatever. And they had the plate up and it was a fourth grains, including a pancake, um, a fourth lean protein only. And then half of it was just a mixture of fruits and vegetables, which of course fruits are good, but still sugar. And then like there's a smaller than a penny in the middle and that was for fats. And on the side, it was like, make sure you count calories and limit your fat. And I'm like, that is why you see so many unhealthy and sick people and how quickly it's changed. Like I'm 30. I don't think I'm that old. And you know, I was in high school. I don't even think you have fingerprints yet. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And so I was in high school 15 years ago and the high schoolers now compared to what I, like we, like my friends and I looked like in high school, it's two different people. And it goes back to the GMO food, the hormones in the food. And it's sad to watch. We're kind of getting pressed for time a little bit. Um, and I do want to cover the, uh, the flu COVID uh, season that, that we're you know, entering into at this point in time, but just getting back to supplements one more time. And from a simplistic approach, um, this question is for you, Lee, just taking the average individual that, you know, might be struggling with their weight a little bit, or, you know, maybe having these, you know, little bit of inflammation in their body or whatever. Um, what kind of a balanced recommendation do you provide in terms of a dietary guidance with supplements where it's balanced? So, you know, at the end of the day, that person isn't taking 10 supplements during the day. They're not taking, you know, 55 different powders. And then on top of that, they're eating, you know, a, a you know, three meals, meals a day. I mean, you know, just from a realistic standpoint, assuming somebody has to go to work every day and do things in their life, you know, what is it you normally recommend to somebody? Well, I would say, you know, that's complex math. And the reason is one of the things that I recognized early on in my practice was that we are all individuals. So I used to get this call a lot at Cedars from colleagues of mine. What's your protocol for RA? Well, I don't know. Is it a man, a woman, uh, premenopausal, postmenopausal, overweight, uh, optimum weight, hormone status? All right. Well, let me uh, let me answer that question real quick. Let's say we have a typical uh, optimal bio patient, person, female, forty years old, likes to work out, um, has RAs, had it for a number of years, um, and uh, but not overweight, um, pretty active, um, but basically wants to live a total normal life and be able to climb mountains and do a bunch of stuff. You know, for that healthy individual with RA, what would you what would you recommend for them? Yeah, I would say it's still, we take a look at the gut health. We look at how to lower inflammation because with RA, autoimmune diseases, we know are inflammatory uh, by nature. Um, and then we regulate glucose for everybody. I mean, these are things that are relevant for everybody. What that actually looks like on the ground for someone. So if you had, if I had to come up with my own plate, it would be 70 to 75%. Again, this is in broad strokes though, Jim. Okay. This is something that we find, I always fine tune for patients. I understand. 70 to 75% non-starchy vegetables with an emphasis on that cruciferous family, unless you have a known sulfur condition like Tyler. Um, That's where sulfur lives um, and we need it for liver detoxification and much to Tyler's point, if you can tolerate it, it's a very good food group to have in abundance. But 70 to 75% non-starchy vegetables. That means an abundance of greens, cauliflower, broccoli, cauliflower, uh, uh, um, Brussels sprouts, um, wide variety of vegetables in the diet. I don't care how you get them. I always tell patients they should taste robust. I mean, gone are the days of that anemic piece of chicken and steamed broccoli on the side to get you through. Uh, 10 to 15% clean sourced animal proteins. And I think Greg talked about this. It's grass-fed, grass-finished beef, bison, lamb, venison. I think organ meats are good on occasion uh, because of the nutrient density in those. It's pastured chicken, meaning chickens that were not fed grain um, and wild-caught fish. I mean, it's because of the grain lobby in this country Um, and the subsidies associated with grain. Um, Livestock is fed grain in order to make it really fat, really fast. And so most of us are unaware of just how much grain we're exposed to. When you eat a burger that isn't grass-fed, you're also eating grain. 
When you eat poultry that isn't pasture raised, you're also getting grain by virtue of what that, you know, you're, you are, you are what you eat eats. So the integrity of that animal really matters. So again, 10 to 15% clean sourced animal protein. I would say that I am a big proponent of moderate protein in the diet. I don't like high protein diets by and large. 10 to 15% clean fats. So that's avocado, olives, olive oil, nuts, seeds, flax, chia, all of that uh, for healthy fats. And then I would say moderating unrefined starch. So the way that I define that, depending on body mass, it would either be half a cup or a cup. I would say for most women, we limit it to half a cup, sweet potato, root veg, winter squash. So what I didn't mention was what I call soul foods, right? So things that you can do, I like the sort of 90-10 split. And I would say that the sort of insidious choice to, to come up with a ratio that sounds so draconian, right? 90% of the time, anti-inflammatory, gut healing, glucose regulating diet, 10, 10% soul food is because we're human. I always say we're just smart monkeys, right? We're just hairless monkeys. And uh, lots of fallibility there. If I can uh, advocate a 90-10 split between clean eating and soul food, right? Because we're all, we're more than a body, we're just a soul. Everyone's going to have some iteration of pizza. It's, you know, a lot of people shudder to think of their lives devoid of a slice of birthday cake. I mean, we still have to live our lives. But I think if I can approach this from a 90-10 split, if I'm lucky, I'll get 80-20 in patience. So that's why I always ask for that high bar. But what you may notice is that in that 90%, there's no mention of grain. There's no mention of legumes, which ordinarily we think of as a health food, right? Beans and lentils. Um, there's no mention of dairy. Um, there's no mention of added sugars. Um, there's, and so I would say that, you know, one of the interesting things I would say about my clinical approach and what separates my practice from most is the inclusion of this cognitive behavioral therapy piece. Because almost anyone can outline a dietary strategy for you. The real work is found in the middle. How do you bridge the gap between uh, a, a dietary protocol for a patient and getting them to actually facilitate it? So you can, you can hand somebody the cleanest, most wonderful nutrient-dense diet in the world. Um, if they can't comply with the guidelines, it doesn't matter all that much. And I think to Tyler's point, if you don't have the mechanics and the chemistry to assimilate food and nutrients, right? To assimilate nutrients, it doesn't matter what you eat. You can eat the cleanest diet all day long, but you have to have, again, that gut integrity in order to make those molecules count. I mean, what's food at the end of the day? It's just information. It's just chains of molecules. The question becomes, how do those chains of molecules affect each one of us as individuals? Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, moving on to COVID real quick. Um, we're sure of time on here. Um, Lee, tell us an ideal diet. Um, and again, I know we already, already asked that question before from a typical RA patient, but for, you know, just in general, an individual that's going through this COVID world right now that wants to have a relatively strong immune system, but hopefully if they do get it, they'll recover quickly. Uh, and hopefully, you know, maybe if, even though Dr. Fauci says differently, um, potentially maybe you have a strong enough immunity where you're not going to get it. So, you know, what would you recommend? I would say first and foremost, take control of your health. Be in the driver's seat uh, take a look at what your risk factors are. If type 2 diabetes, get it under control. If you're hypertensive, we know these are primary risk factors. We have an 85% bi-directional likelihood. If you have hypertension, you will have an 85% likelihood that you will eventually develop diabetes and vice versa. Typically, that comes along with being either overweight um, or obese. We have 70% of our population in America is either overweight or obese. That is a staggering number. So address those things first. I would say in terms of dietary strategy, it's exactly what I outlined because that is a gut healing, glucose regulating, anti-inflammatory diet. What I would add to that in terms of supplements, 
I would say, you know, keep it simple. Um, D3 naturally is something that I would go for because of um, how it boosts immunity. Zinc is really important. Um, and vitamin C would be my top three liposomal delivery vitamin C uh, because uh, it's a potent antioxidant. Um, and uh, zinc, of course, boosts immunity um, and helps a fight, fight off uh, viral infections. Um, I also would add to that uh, medicinal mushrooms I like quite a bit. Um, but I think Greg mentioned this, you got to be careful of elderberry because I think there's some data that suggests it does contribute to that cytokine storm. Um, and so uh, typically I do that as part of a traditional winter protocol was I always recommended an elderberry tincture. But I will say just to err on the side of caution, I'm holding off on that this flu season. Sure. I was going to ask Greg, uh, you know, I know you have a supplemental uh, pack as well, which I'm sure Lee just identified a couple that would be in that pack, but any other advice you could give people? No, I, I think a nice multivitamin is crucial, a fish oil and a probiotic. Again, if they're healthy, I think that's just a base. I've been using my OB practice for years, but we did a podcast last November, Jim, us three. And we talked about before COVID even hit the, hit the, we talked about just viral season. The study yeah. out of Japan showing that if a vitamin D is above 40, the chance of the flu that year goes down 800%. The CDC says this is relative risk versus absolute risk. Absolute risk is improved 3.3% with the flu vaccine, but 800% with vitamin D. Okay, that's, that's important. So we talked about vitamin D, 10,000, vitamin A, 5,000, uh, zinc, 50. You can't do too much. And zinc is important. We can have it in our serum, but that's not where it works. It's got to get inside the cell. And that's why everybody's heard about hydrochloroquine. That does work. It's called an ionophore. But there is a thing in red apples and red cabbage and, and cherries called quercetin. We actually have that product together. That yeah. makes zinc go from the outside and the inside. Um, and we recommend then a C. So we've been recommending that for over you know a few years of my practice. But uh, that works. And we know because, again, the study showed, Jim, that those who get it, the first, attack, the first study in Italy showed those who had a higher risk of dying, not getting, of dying, I think 93, 94% were low D and about 70% were low testosterone, which makes sense because those are immune modulators. Excellent. Okay, this is time for our little piece of advice to the audience. Uh, one takeaway you want to give everybody, um, you know, before we uh, sign off. And Tyler, I'll start with you. Yeah, the biggest lesson I've learned is to be your own advocate. You know your body. And I feel like we grew up um, going to the doctor and trusting what they say. But um, do your own research and keep pushing um, and keep finding a doctor that will truly help you. Lee Bell? Well, I would say much to that point, um, find the merit in practicing self-care and rely less on the medical establishment. Um, I would say that try to, to uh, deconstruct, to demystify your own biochemistry when it comes to food and um, learn how to fast. Learn how to get really comfortable with fasting. I mean, there are about 50 different paths to doing that. I actually just completed last night a 72-hour water fast, which we do as a community here. We're probably 50 people strong. I started at the beginning of 2020. Um, and who knew there would be such popularity in uh, some, somebody in, you know, not eating. Somebody had actually called me from Los Angeles and said, I wanted to join your group fast because I hear you're the clinical nutritionist that's really into starvation. Um, I said, nope, I think starvation is involuntary. Uh, this is something that we're choosing to do, but I do believe that that's more compatible with how humans are, uh, human metabolism is designed. So find a diet, uh, fasting strategy that works for you. Excellent. Dr. Brown. I want to tie what she said together. Our body recycles in a, in a starvation, but not a malnourished state. That's why that fasting is crucial. We've talked about ourselves many times here in Optical Bio about time restricted feeding. That's how our body recycles. But I've been thinking through this whole thing and what it was occurring in, in our society. Every single medical thing we've talked about obesity, inflammation, all this stuff has come 
when the government made their opinion mandatory. I, I just can't stress that enough. We are all, look in the mirror, that's your king and queen. So we're down this repercussions of mandated plans, mandated nutrition, mandated percentages of food. That we cannot accept. Because if you do, you're actually giving away your responsibility. Their liberty and freedom is actually an active verb. So my passion here is don't listen to even us. I'm not, I'm not saying we're special made house. Tyler put a great point. Your number one advocate is you. But when you look at the position we're in, when the government said start eating nine to 13 grains a day 45 years ago, 70% of our complications are from obesity. That's where it came from. A government overstepped its bounds. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about the COVID vaccine with you at some point in time. Um, <laughs> well, listen, it was a great uh, discussion today. Uh, Lee Bell, thank you uh, for joining us. Um, thank if you somebody, for to participate with all of you. Sure thing. If somebody uh, is listening to this podcast down the road um, and they want to reach out to you, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can call my office at the Hypertension Institute. Um, I also have a you know, I'm pretty anti-social media. I think it's uh, it's too stressful. But I did uh, <laughs> ten days ago, two weeks ago, start what I believe is called an Instagram feed. That's that's the word on the street, an Instagram feed. And so you can find me there too. I post lots of of products and recipes and things that may may be of value for people who are looking to start to engage in this process of greater self-awareness when it comes to diet and lifestyle. That's uh, Lee Bell thirty three eighty two. Um, on Instagram. Excellent. Thank you. And of course, that Optimal Bio, uh, you can reach us in Cary, North Carolina, www.optimalbio.com. And um, thank you again, everybody, for joining us today. And good luck to all of you out there listening today. And uh, be safe and be healthy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.